G'day, mate. Forty here. Great news. The West Indian Day Parade is back in New York City. It's mostly peaceful. So welcome, welcome in once again to the Forty International Institute for Human Flourishing and Wellness. So as your registered herbalist, flower nature essence therapist, your bioenergetic medicine practitioner, as your contemporary medicine man, as your plant protector, as your land guardian, and as your evolutionary oracle. Right. This week only, I have a plan, right, a, a special online program that you can get for just 50% off to, to learn to open up your heart chakra and, and get everything you want in life. And what I want to know right now is there, there anyone at, from the 40 Institute for Human Flourishing and Wellness who, who managed to, to make it out to the West Indian Day Parade? I mean, what a triumph. Caribbean culture happening now. Thousands have gathered in Brooklyn beautiful, for the West Indian beautiful. Day Parade. CBS News' John Diaz joins us live from the parade round with more. John, what are you seeing out there? Hey, good afternoon, Chris. Well, the, you know, the smells, the sounds, the sights. I don't know wow. what my favorite part is of this parade, but take a look. Wow. Uh, these guys, this one, this little guy right here, he's seven years old. Look at him on these stilts. This is such impressive uh, outfits out here. You know, some of them, they told me they takes days, hours, really, but some of them days. Uh, this guy right here told me it took him a, them a whole day to pull off this costume. Very impressive. And, you know, bright and beautiful costumes and feathers and uh, rhinestones. They have been waiting for this. They're about to march down Eastern Parkway here in Brooklyn. Now, each costume takes hours to make, sometimes days. And this is an annual Brooklyn tradition, which dates back to 1969. But it's the first time they... Yeah, I'm going to be really shocked when I tell you this, but many of the women dressing in sexually provocative costumes, they have found that this has provoked sexual, sometimes unwanted sexual attention from men. Did you guys have any idea that when women dress in a sexually provocative manner, that they are more likely to receive you know, sexual attention from men? I'm just shocked. He came back since 2019 due to the pandemic. The association says that they get around one and a half million in-person spectators annually and more than 100,000 participants. Culture, of course, is the cornerstone of the West Indian Day Parade. That's for sure. Now, I caught up with some participants oh, about an hour Al before Shopton. the parade started. Take a listen. Oh, Senator Chuck Schumer, the, the governor of New York. the best feeling ever to just Definitely. let loose, oh, enjoy yeah. yourself. Our ancestors, they came. And there's just absolutely nothing that can go wrong when people let loose. I mean, there's just nothing better in particular than Caribbean people just letting loose. Like all the layers of white oppression, white repression, you know, all the, all the levels of, oh, you need to act white. I mean, it, it's time that these proud people let loose because normally... They lead such staid, repressed lives. I mean, they're so much held back. And, and, and fi finally, like, for the first time in, in, what, three years due to COVID, we, we finally have an opportunity where our Caribbean brothers can let loose. came a long way. Um, so just definitely just coming out and just being able to embrace your culture and embrace everybody else's culture. Every nationality comes out here. And it brings such a unity, you know what I'm saying? Despite all Beautiful. the divisive things going on in the world. I love my country, so we represent Haiti. We're proud to be Haitian. She loves her country. I mean, she moved to the United States, but she loves her country. She means Haiti. She does not mean the, the United States of America. Now, 
Yeah, a lot of people have been raped at these events in the past, and there have been a lot of stabbings and murders and knifings. But these these parades are mostly peaceful. Now, before the West Indian Day Parade, many partied in the annual Jouvet celebration, which is French for daybreak. So starting at 6 o'clock this morning, it officially kicked off the festivities. Participants followed tr tr the tradition by covering their... Now, is that uh, celebrating when they slaughtered all the Europeans in Haiti so that they could unleash their, their natural sense of abundance and human flourishing and make Haiti what it is today. Bodies in mud and oil and other uh, forms of body paint to party in the streets. But a live look back out here at this big celebration, this big parade. Take a look at this guy right here. All this is so impressive. All this really handmade. I just cannot believe this. Wow. Uh, Governor Kathy Hochul, Mayor Eric Adams, a bunch of different elected leaders. They already started marching down the parade. These guys are getting ready to do just that. And now when it comes to security, well, the NYPD has it completely secure. Cured, try to keep oh, everyone safe God. during this year's celebration. Really, just a big party out here. Now, why would they be so worried about security just because a bunch of people got raped and murdered and stabbed and killed in the past? I mean, I think this is just an imposition of, of white values. And uh, I've done some research, and uh, I found out that the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, is a fascist. Right? There's a, a Twitter account. violent racist strategic response group it's a riot squad right its role includes mass brutalization arrests it followed behind today's west indian day parade with a large crowd control net used by them to demobilize large groups and to make arrests absolutely sickening the the west indian day parade and and caribbean americans african americans have for too long suffered under the oppressive boot of over-intrusive, over-policing. I mean, this is a community that needs needs space to be free of, of the inhibition typically just throttle them. Right. 364 days a year, they lead highly inhibited, highly repressed lives, and then just for a few hours, they want to be free, and, and the oppressive white power structure says... You know, no, we can't have that. We're going to over-police you. The crowd is still out here. Just a few hours ago, though, it was absolutely packed. The joy is pretty contagious. Wow. And it's obvious that people are just thrilled to be back here after a two-year pandemic hiatus. The Caribbean culture is everything. We are so happy to bring this back after two years. The West Indian Day Parade and Juve back in full force. <laughs> Kicking off Carnival in Brooklyn for the first time since the pandemic. A blend of Caribbean culture and countries on display. Trinidad and Tobago, my darling. And what does that mean for you? Like, what is all this about? It means home. It means culture. It means understanding oneself. Stunning and intricate costumes. This one Stunning weighing 45 pounds, dancing effortlessly wow. down Eastern Parkway. Wow. The designer behind these looks leading the way. I am the designer and the band leader. Stilt walkers also making it look pretty easy to glide down the street. <laughs> Bands, floats, and the dancers. 
cruising down the parkway, culminating tonight at Grand Army Plaza. Seas of flags representing the Caribbean culture from Haiti, Jamaica, Barbados, Guyana. People saying it's just a beautiful blend of what makes their heritage so rich. Dancing, the festivities, the community. Everybody's different culture, you know, like the Jamaicans, the Haitians, different music. You get to see how everybody parties. It feels yeah. like home. Food, also a big part of the day. The yeah. smells of traditional Caribbean foods filling the air. This is actually a very quintessential beach dish in Trinidad. So if you ever go there and you hear people say we're going to the beach for the day, this is what you'll find. And police stepped up security measures this year with extra officers and 13 security entry points along the parade route. They compare the efforts to what they do for New Year's Eve in Times Square. But everyone here just focused on having a good time and celebrating the culture. And it's good to see the diversity because Brooklyn's yeah. very diverse. Very diverse. Wow. Wow. And uh, New York Times was there, like celebrating the diversity of the West Indian Day Parade. All right. I mean, letting loose and, and like getting in touch with who you really are and just letting go of all those layers of repression and, and celebrating life, celebrating love, celebrating exploring your Caribbean identity, celebrating exploring your sexuality. Wow. Just uh, just amazing. I mean, this is an opportunity to enjoy 55 years of Caribbean cultural impact. Now, I, I am concerned about the over-policing, all right? Um, you wouldn't believe that there are just so many men who look at women in, in scanty, scanty clothing and think, oh, this is some kind of you know, invitation for me to be, be sexually aggressive. I mean, we need to practice cultural reverence for the carnival experience. Right? And uh, it's an, just an opportunity to take back ownership and to celebrate diversity. So do you, are you guys familiar with the profound works of uh, Professor Janice Hale? I mean, she she published a very well-reviewed book, you know, peer-reviewed, I'm telling you. It's called Black Children, Their Roots, Culture, and Learning Styles. So she argues in this book that Afro-American people tend to respond to things in terms of the whole picture, whereas the Euro-American tends to believe that anything can be divided and subdivided into pieces. Afro-American people tend to approximate space, numbers, and time rather than stick to strict accuracy. And Afro-American people in general tend not to be word-dependent. They tend to be very proficient in non-verbal communication. You saw a lot of that non-verbal communication going on at the parade. And black people think in terms of approximation of time rather than punctuality. So I just find it so helpful to understand the different cognitive styles, at least according to Professor Janice Hale. I'm not an expert, but 
She seems to be saying that uh, different peoples ha have different gifts. The party's been going strong Whoa. in Brooklyn for Whoa. several hours now. The West Indian American Day Parade is back in full force following a pandemic break. We saw large crowds early this morning for Juve. Um, I think they started the partying like around midnight, so that's several hours. And then just an hour ago, the main event was scheduled to begin, and I'm told it started without a problem. Eyewitness News reporter Stefan Kim is... Wow, why would they why would they emphasize it starts without a problem? Like I'm afraid that this black lady TV news anchor has imbibed white values that somehow there's a problem when black people get together and be free. She's expecting a problem, right? If she wasn't expecting a problem, she wouldn't say, Oh, this has started without a problem. But she has internalized white supremacist notions of what is a problem. Then she's imposed white supremacy on vibrant black culture. It's live along the parade route in Prospect Heights. Nice to see you, Safan. Well, Charlene, if the beach isn't your thing and you're heading home early, you can always come out here because if it's late. I mean, the only thing that's wilder than a Caribbean Day parade is some kind of, you know, Northeast Asian parade. I mean, those Korean Day parades or those uh, Chinese New Year parades or, you know, Japanese Day parades, I mean, they just make, you know, the Caribbean parades just, you know, look incredibly repressed. Labor Day in the city, there are steel drums banging away in Brooklyn. After a two-year break, the West Indian Day Parade is back. Thank you, sir. I'm proud to make it. I'm proud to make it. It is the city's proudest, fullest display of West Indian culture, and it's loud, colorful, and spicy. After Juve festivities bump through the night, proud Caribbean culture is popping off in Brooklyn today. This morning. I don't understand why they keep saying proud and pride and proud and pride. Why do they have to keep emphasizing it? I mean, shouldn't that just go without saying anything? I mean, why, why the repetition that, oh, there are no problems, or implicitly they're saying, oh, you know, not many people got raped, or, you know, pride, 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 they're so proud. Why would this need to be stated? Uh, can't we just take these things for granted? Sadly, we cannot. And the reason we cannot is because of white supremacy. Morning, parade goers lined the route, waiting for the parade to march on through. Crowds started gathering before dawn. The West Indian Day Parade... Boy, you can just tell how much this uh, TV news reporter is really into this. I mean, his Asian soul is just resonating with this uh, Caribbean, Caribbean queen. And now they're they're they're, uh, they're sharing that same dream, and, and now you can just tell that his heart is beating as one. This is incredibly inspiring. Returns in full force for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Look, we didn't have one in a, in a long time. Yeah. So, right now it's. I want everybody to come out. If you're visiting Brooklyn, if you if you live in Brooklyn, come out and have a nice time. It is nice out here. You got every culture out here who want to enjoy life. Like he said about the culture celebrating life, everybody taking a day off. And yeah, I mean, I've seen so many Asians in this parade. I mean, look at all the Japanese Americans, Korean Americans in particular have such a, a long, proud relationship with African-Americans that's just filled with human flourishing and wellness.
And so it's great to see all the diversity of these Northeast Asians uh, gathering together here with, with the Caribbeans. I mean, can you think of any better fit than, say, Korean-American culture and Caribbean culture? It's like two peas in a pod. Just now, kid, dance, eat, and enjoy each other. The Juve festivities began at 6 a.m. along Flatbush Avenue from Grand Army. Wow, you just hear the, the passion and excitement in this Asian reporter's voice because he feels such resonance and consonance. He feels such, like, historic ties to the Caribbean community that he's just getting choked up in his excitement over this parade. Plaza, the parade kicked off about an hour ago. The Lions Club marching today, leading the festivities and setting the pace for the day. The food, the music, the ambience. The NYPD says security for the event is tight. The entire parade is a need... barricaded frozen zone. The... Why would they need tight security and frozen zones? Like, this is white supremacy implicitly saying, oh, we expect crime when black people get together and try to be free. So racist. Do you understand the, the racist tropes that are being propagated by our corporate news media? The event has been marred by violence in the past, but not this year. The mayor this- Yeah, there was violence in the past, but these parades have been mostly peaceful. Like most people who've gone to these parades have not been stabbed. Have not been raped. And what's concerning is that we have a Twitter account saying that this man, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, is a fascist. This morning, speaking at a West Indian Day breakfast ahead of the parade. Not one shooting last night. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, my God. Not one shooting last night during Juve. I mean, wow. That's incredible. Next, they're going to tell me that you know, their women got raped. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, this is like saying my kid's on the honor roll at Martin Luther King Elementary School. Very impressive. This is, this is something that all, all right-thinking people can, can get behind and, and celebrate. Okay, uh, excellent article here. In the Hollywood Reporter, speaking of uh, human flourishing, right, is Eric Weinberg Hollywood's most prolific predator? So last month, the LAPD arrested the Scrubs and Californication. Who would have thought that a writer-producer for a show named Californication would be arrested on 20 charges of sexual assault, including rape? But speaking publicly for the first time, his victims have shared their stories and revealed how they came together to seek justice. He's taken everything he's allowed to take from me. Powerful. ...consensually, Wilson says Weinberg forced her to perform oral sex on him. He then pinned her on the ground, held her arms down, and forced her to perform other sexual acts, she says. Yeah, but he has taken everything he's allowed to take from her, and that's it, right? After the, the vaginal, the oral, the anal, I mean, no more, like, no more motorboating. Like, that's it. He's taken everything he's allowed to take. Powerful. I said, no, I don't want to do that. Get off of me. She And when, when has this ever occurred before that a uh, woman has said to a man, no, I don't want to do that. And then he didn't stop. This is truly shocking. Who would have thought that uh, a stranger who picks you up at a grocery store convinces you to come back to his home and 
good for photos, would then try to pose as well sexually. It's completely unprecedented, particularly when you make it philosophically clear that you're not into this. Says. After the encounter, Wilson acknowledges that she continued to text with Weinberg in the hopes of clarifying the negative experience. We want the people who hurt us to fix it, she tells THR. Yeah, that's important. Like, if you get raped, what what's most important is Char. that you, yeah, is that you text with your rapist, right? So that you can clarify any negative experiences. So, you know, let's say they, they you know, raped you orally, vaginally, anally. It, what's so important, please, if you're a victim of rape, it's so important that you get clarity on these negative experiences. So just, just a word to the wise, next time you're raped, you know, make sure that you just clarify this experience because sometimes there's, there's misunderstanding about rape and, and you don't want that to happen. You, you really want to just start clarifying the rape. You know, go through all the details and let your rapist know you know, which were the most painful of the of the experiences? Like communication, through communication, we're going to solve these problems. Right? We can do this together, guys. Weinberg dodged accountability, however, and when he indicated that he would not be seeing her again, she posted to the Facebook group. Oh, so after her rapist indicated that he would not be seeing her again, then she started speaking out against him. Yeah, that's really important. Okay, so I think we can all learn from this. So when your rapist indicates to you that he's not interested in seeing you again, that's the time to start posting on Facebook. Not before, but but initially, uh, you know, Find out if, if your rapist wants to see you again. And by all means, try to get clarity on the most harmful, painful, degrading, humiliating experiences of your rape. It's just so important to have that sort of open communication with your rapist. She'll post, and a follow-up Wilson shared on another private Facebook group where women offer nightlife safety tips and cautionary tales, prompted an outpouring of stories from those who... And it's so important whether you're a man or a woman because, like, anyone can get monkeypox. Uh, anyone can get raped, right? It's so important that you have your own private Facebook group where you can share tips, right, about, you know, what kind of conversations to have with your rapist after the fact. It's It's so important to have, you know, good, solid, you know, flourishing lines of communication with your rapist and, and you know, not, not shut a door, you know, not stigmatize, you know, not try to make your rapist feel, feel ashamed. But uh, the other alternative is the traditional alternative where you, you put a high value on virginity, you put a high value on monogamy, you don't go around posing naked for photos. But if you subscribe to the secular point of view, the secular liberal humanist point of view, where you laugh concepts like virginity and monogamy and you think it's uptight, not uh, not going to a man's house who you've met at a Starbucks or a grocery store and, and, and getting naked for him 
and you've given him your 99 thesis of, you know, what type of nude photos you, you want to take. I mean, that's an alternative. So on the one hand, best protection is the trad protection, traditional protection, which is you don't pose naked for people. I mean, when uh, Don Bacardi, the famous painter, wanted to paint me naked, I had friends that said, oh, you should absolutely do that. But they, they were all secular. It, it didn't occur to me for a second, right? If I go to Starbucks and some creepy old man tries to talk me into going over to his home and posing naked. I'm not struggling. Like, I, I don't have to post on, on social media to find out if he has a good reputation. I don't need to see his photography portfolio. I don't need to see his credits. It's just not on. So the traditional response is the elegant response. It's like, no, I, I value the holiness of sex, of, of nudity, of the, of the body, of my virginity, of monogamy and now i'm not going over to someone's house to pose naked for photos particularly on my own that's uh probably a bad idea so all these women who get raped right they've been shorn of traditional protections where women have been inculcated to put a value on virginity to put a, a value on their body and to put a value on monogamy but shorn of those protections then then the women get into so much trouble look i want to see you lecturing on these topics at oberlin college yes I, i'd love to i'd love to go there and to be of assistance feminism removes these traditional protections from women and they get raped so harvey weinstein was not raping hasidic women right jeffrey epstein was not raping hasidic women the me too movement uh, female victims were not hasidic they were not orthodox jews they were not traditional christians there were all women who had bought into the feminist narrative that virginity has no value, there's no reason why you shouldn't get naked with a stranger, and that if you just present to a man your 99 theses about what you're into and what you're not into, then you can just be sure that he'll abide by that. Where is the Torah? This is Torah. Look, I want to see you lecturing at Oberlin. I was dressed nice for work once, and outside at lunchtime, a woman from Playgirl wanted to do a man-on-the-street interview, but I demurred. See, Glib is a man of, uh, of uh, you know, very traditional, traditional values. So speaking of traditional values, we've got, uh, we've, we've got people who are finding God here through, through poisonous toads. So let's can be smoked. In. These retreats that perform the smoking ceremonies are now starting to pop up all across the country. Ishka owns yes. one of these retreats in Utah. When they smoke these crystals of toad venom, uh -huh. what is the first thing that usually happens and how long does it last? So we, we dose it out um, and then they will inhale it. Usually it takes about maybe 30 seconds for them to get into the experience. Um, they can experience everything from just a euphoric feeling to also moving through what I like to call uh, death and resurrection. So it's a, a therapeutic experience. You, I'm sure, have smoked the toad venom. What have those experiences been like for you personally? Um, absolutely absolute ecstasy yeah it's a lot like uh posing naked for some dude that you meet at a starbucks said they were someone they knew also had been approached by weinberg for photos 
many of those interactions, the women said, ended in sexual assault. Within days, the post generated hundreds of comments, prompting Wilson to post in other similar women-only Facebook groups. The posts and the subsequent allegations they surfaced hinted at decades of similar claims of misconduct committed while Weinberg worked for some of the most popular TV shows on air. So what do you think would provide the most protection and human flourishing and wellness right, for women? Uh, private women's-only Facebook groups or traditional conceptions of virginity and the virtues of monogamy and chastity and modesty, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager that uh, traditional concerns about virginity and monogamy and the holiness of the human body and, and seeing the world as a magical enchanted place where, where, where sex has overpowering meaning so you don't just put yourself in a vulnerable position where some stranger can inflict that on you seems to me the trad approach is a little more effective than women's only Facebook groups. Including scrubs, Californication, and anger management. When Anderson first learned of the chorus of other accusations, she says she felt relieved, but also sickened. I was hoping that I was just hypersensitive, she says. I was hoping I was just being hysterical. In interviews with THR, more than two dozen women allege Weinberg approached them in L.A. area parking lots, in grocery stores, at cafes and on sidewalks, commenting on their appearance before listing his Hollywood credits and showing them examples of his photography, sometimes explicit images. THR spoke with women whose claims go as far back as 2000 and as far away as Portland, Oregon. THR meaning the Hollywood Reporter. Right. So he was just hitting up women at coffee shops, on the street, at grocery stores, and a lot of the women were buying his pitch. And New York. Some say Weinberg would pressure them during shoots into taking off clothing. He would exaggerate his authority in the industry and threaten to derail their nascent careers. Wow. He's the first man to ever do, do something like that. Just absolutely shocking. Uh, Luke, where do you approach women? Uh, synagogue? Uh, the park? Walking down the street? The beach? Parties? Book clubs? Good times. I got a lot of love to give, bro. Yeah, ride the monkeypox to victory. Look, anyone can get monkeypox. You just can't be too careful. What we need to not do is stigmatize the sort of antisocial self-destructive behavior that uh, causes most monkeypox. Multiple women described Weinberg engaging in sexual activity without their consent, frequently photographing the acts as they took place. Asked for comment on specific allegations, Weinberg's divorce attorney Karen Silver offered the following statement. As we have unfortunately seen these days, time and time again, a heavily litigated and acrimonious custody dispute has now given rise to strategically placed criminal allegations. These claims have previously been investigated and reviewed by both law enforcement and the Los Angeles Family Court and the results have continued to unveil a myriad of evidence, documentation and expert analysis that wholly undermine the narrative now being promulgated.
though Mr. Weinberg himself is precluded from commenting on any aspect of this litigation due to court orders, family law rules, and in the best interest of his minor children, he will continue through counsel to cooperate in all aspects of this investigation oh, and, if necessary, will address these allegations in the only forum that should matter, a public courtroom. Oh, that's good to know. Dating back to at least 2014, multiple women had taken their allegations to law enforcement, but they say that in most instances, police failed to follow up or adequately investigate. In at least two cases, police believed sufficient evidence existed to charge Weinberg, but the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office, then under the leadership of Jackie Lacey, declined to prosecute. Okay, so the best way is to stay safe. And the best way to stay safe is to come from from a position that is attuned to reality. And so what we're talking about here are a clash of cosmologies between the secular liberal humanist perspective and the, the traditional perspective. So Charles Taylor wrote an important book on uh, the, the new secular age, and he makes the point between the the medieval personality and the modern so the the conservative is much more medieval than the liberal right the, the conservative is more likely to be pre-modern in some of his tendencies than than modern so when a modern person feels depressed and melancholy he's told look it's just your body chemistry or you're hungry or you have a hormone malfunctioning and then he feels relieved because he's able to get distance from his feelings that, that these feelings are not justified so he steps into a sort of disengagement, right? But the, the pre-modern, the medieval, did not react this way, right? They, they understood that their mood came from black bile. This didn't permit a distancing. Black bile means melancholy. He's in the grip of the real thing. So this is the contrast between the modern bounded self, the, the buffered self, and the poorer self of the early enchanted world. So the conservative believes in a poorer self, that what you do what goes on around me affects me, that there are forces of good and evil in the world, that there are demons and angels. I, I believe, for example, that, that money that is owned dishonestly and unethically carries with it a, a, a contagion, right? That's a, a magical, enchanted belief. So for the modern buffered liberal self, right, the attitude is that you take distance from, you're disengaged from everything outside the mind. So let's have a look. Elliot Blatt, what's going on, man? Oh, blessings, Luke. Nice, blessings. beautiful Labor Day. Yes. Thought Rukh I'd Hashem. call in. Baruch Hashem. How are you, mate? Uh, thriving, bro. Thriving. Flourishing. I'm on a new plateau, Luke. Flourishing. Soaring with, soar, soaring with the eagles. Flourishing. Wellness. Yeah. Wellness, vitality, clarity, compassion, all of it, Luke. And all from mushrooms. No, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't done mushrooms in over a year. I, I've... It's sort of something I think I'm going to get back to, but I always find a reason not to do it. So uh, it certainly hasn't developed into a habit, but uh, I, I would like to try. I would like to like, you know, take it up a notch uh, from my last experience just to see if all of this, um, <coughs> all these YouTube videos are, are, are accurate, you know? Uh, so uh, but I, there, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do anything that's too destabilizing because you know I, I think I, I just need my stability. And mushrooms are a force of chaos, you know, so they need to be um, treated with caution. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got a lot of scary emotions trapped inside that you really don't want to have, you know, come out. I mean, you've got demons inside you, right? Uh, liquid rage, Luke. Liquid, liquid rage. rage. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I wouldn't say that's true. I have, you know, I have a few annoyances that <laughs> I'm not able to manage appropriately, but I wouldn't say that I'm walking around uh, stewing like, uh, you know, my... My face isn't red. Steam's not coming out of my ears. There's just certain things that sort of push me over the edge, and they're they're notable because they are exceptions to the rule, not the rule. You know, I'm so jealous of, of Ricardo. You know, that man never suffers from performance anxiety. Like he, he doesn't suffer from erectile dysfunction. I mean, when when Ricardo wants to defecate, he defecates. When he wants to burp, he burps. You know, when he wants to make love to a woman, he makes love to a woman. He, he doesn't, he's not crippled by, by the layers of repression under which I operate. Yeah, he's a top performer. There's those two ways about it, bro. He's an A player, alpha. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he does what he wants. I mean, he, if he sees a demon, he calls out the demon. If he wants mm -hmm. to make a make a poo poo or you know make a pee he makes a poo and makes a pee if he wants to burp he burps i mean he is master of his domain he is the lord of his castle and he's just not crippled by by the layers of introspection i think that that so often cripple us um you obviously know something that i don't luke about ricardo you don't know these things well he probably didn't feel <laughs> safe telling you now these are things he's confided in you. Yeah. Well, I know I can't really, I can't really comment. <laughs> but I mean, you uh, can tell like the way people speak is how they operate. I mean, Ricardo yeah. is a man who is very close to nature. Mm. Like he sees the demons. Do you see the demons, or, or do you are you too highfalutin to believe in demons? Um. I believe in malevolent forces. So, um, so put it, put it this way, you know, you go to, you meet a person and you look them in the eye and their eyes are very, uh, kind of shifty and dark, you know? Yes. And you come away from that experience. Like you just feel really sketched out, you know, by, yeah. by yeah. their presence. Right. Yeah. So, to me, that's a half demon, half man. That's somebody that's sort of, you know, for lack of a letter word, possessed by a demon. So to that extent, that's how I view, you know, demon language. I view people completely subsumed with uh, or consumed by negativity. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a more elevated uh that, that's more but intellectualized like, like little, version of demons. Well, well, mushroom. I mean, Ricardo sees demons. I mean, Ricardo, like Ricardo fornicates. Flesh? He sees demons. He burps. I mean, he is not repressed. Go ahead. Well, isn't he using demons as a sort of literary device? No, Ricardo doesn't engage in literary devices, bro. <laughs> literary yeah. devices are things like you and I participate in because we're in California and, and we read mm -hmm. books. But Ricardo doesn't need books. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't read books. <laughs> Reading is for the gloopy ones. Ricardo lives. <laughs> Ricardo loves. Ricardo yeah. hates. Ricardo takes what he wants. 
Uh, obviously, something's going on in the chat, which I'm not aware of. I'm not. I'm. I'm on the phone, so I'm not reading the chat. Um, I, I'm. Tr I'm trying to play with you, Luke, but I, I'm. I'm coming. No, up short. there's nothing else going on but you and me, bro. Okay. Okay. Hot day today, huh? Oh, so what's it like where you are? It's 100 degrees here. Uh, I wouldn't say it's that hot, but it's like 90-ish, I would guess, and it's, which is pretty hot for San Francisco. It rarely gets above 75. So, yeah, it's the hottest day of the year. I went swimming yesterday um, for the first time in a long time. That um, was a great experience. Got back in. Got back in the game. Back in the swimming game, Luke. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt good. I felt good. Like that. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm still, you know, basically autumn is the summer in San Francisco. We don't really get a proper summer. So all the warm weather happens in September and October. So, uh, yeah, I'm back in the water. I may go swimming again tonight, Luke. Keep keep the train. Wow, you are living on the edge, man. There's, I, a, there's I, a lot of Ricardo in you. I mean, when you see the water, you go swim. Exactly. You don't read books about swimming. You don't you read jump books in the water. about it. You just dive in, bro. You don't watch videos. You don't no. write poetry. You don't read poetry. You don't paint pictures. You just get in the water. You don't theorize. You don't need academic perspectives. You don't need to hear from the experts. You just get no. in the water. You don't read, uh, you know, New York Times review of books about books about swimming. No, just you just go directly in the water. Luke. How's the transcend? Sorry, how's the level of defecation on the streets of San Francisco these days? Uh, depends on the neighborhood, but in some neighborhoods, it's quite high. Very high indeed. <laughs> it's it's staggering, Luke. It's actually staggering. Have you I, I, I blocked ahead. it out. I, I just blocked it out. out. It's it's yeah. like it's it's uh it's a it's a bifurcated world. Like you're either in one neighborhood where it's very nice and couldn't be more pleasant than you're in another neighborhood. And it's basically uh, the gates of hell have opened and the demons are, are crawling out. So there's, there's really very little gray area in between now. It's, uh, it's one or the other. And do you take your shoes off when you enter your home? Uh, I take my shoes off immediately upon entering the home. And I leave them in the doorway vestibule type area. But uh, I don't walk around in shoes, but I don't leave them outside the apartment either. And have you participated in San Francisco's many wonderful outdoor toilets? No, and I would sooner die. <laughs> in fact, I drive around, I keep toilet paper in the trunk of my car just in case. I would have to be in a situation where I would need to use a San Francisco public toilet. I would find some other option outside uh, rather than risk that. I'm a uh, very germ phobic. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You got to take precautions these days. These are tough times. Yeah. yeah. Was there a particular topic that you called in on before I disrailed you? Um, well, I was, um, I mean, last time we spoke, um, well, I, I've been trying to call in before, but like either do it or Rodney and beat me to the punch. And, you know, I, I just, as soon as that happens, I just sort of, you know, wait for another day. But yeah, uh, I guess the only update really is that uh, I'm, I'm really working on this side hustle, this sort of duvid like, um, um, you know, selling stuff on Amazon <coughs> type of thing. I'm sort of developing a, uh, side hustle book selling business so that's been chugging along it's been a source of uh, great joy for me 
otherwise. Have, have you participated in any of the open air, like, do, don't they have like free needles and stuff in, in San Francisco where you can shoot up with a, with a clean needle? Uh, they do indeed. And I was staggered by this. And uh, yeah, you, you see those plot, you see those places, these, uh, they, they have these zones where you can go and get a free needle and, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's clown world, you know, on, on steroids. So you don't no. believe in harm reduction, bro? No, I'm pro harm, bro. <laughs> I'm a, I'm like I'm I'm a nature boy, you know. I, I'm like let nature take its course, you know. It's cold turkey or duck, <laughs> or you know, six feet under. It, you can't just drag this out. This idea that you know, uh, you know, the problem that you know drug addicts have is that their needles aren't clean, right? This is, you know, like the idea is to save every human life at all possible costs. You know, this is just a warped idea and it leads to what we have where we have ridiculous situations like needle giveaways. Some people, I mean, you know, you know, it's not like I take any joy in saying this. It's just some people are beyond repair. It's just that simple. They need to be separated from society and we don't need to kill ourselves to, to prevent them from killing themselves. You know, we, we life is for the living, Luke, not for the dead. So did you look at all the, the drug users out there is just stacked up like useless cordwood? Uh, I do. Luke, I do indeed. That phrase seems to have stuck with you. Uh, there are a lot of <laughs> just a lot of you, know, you, you just hit, fly up here one day, Luke. We'll drive around. We'll drive around downtown San Francisco and you can just take a gander and see uh for yourself what's available on the street and you tell me this is not useless cordwood these are not people that are uh, you know completely beyond repair so yes uh we're either going to get tough or we're going to just let this sort of sewage uh drown us and it seems like we're opting for the latter so if some stranger approached you in a grocery store and asked you to come back to his place and pose for some, you know, nude, nude photos, uh, how would you go about it? Would you like do a social media background check on the guy? Would you talk to your friends? Would you just say yes? Would you just say no? How do you approach it when men, strangers ask you to pose naked for them back at their place? I say, well, that's very exciting, but let's do something more exciting. Let's discuss the JQ. <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, let's do that instead. How do you understand all these young women who get approached by this, you know, 60-year-old Hollywood producer and he persuades them to come back to his place and pose naked for him and then they're shocked, shocked when, when he rapes them? Um, yeah, so women have a very highly bifurcated consciousness and they're not able to process discordant signals. So on one hand, she's thinking, yeah, I'll get with him and this will be a great story and I can one up all my friends. Remember, women live to impress their friends, right? They live in this comp this competitive world where they're going to basically, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're seeking dominance over their friend circles. So if this guy's famous and any connection with him is going to elevate her status in the eyes of her friends, she's going to do that. And she's going to 
sort of uh, not see the other side of the coin and what that involvement really means. And uh, like, let's say a guy told you that he wanted to F you up the A, would your initial response be, well, let me offer you oral sex instead? <laughs> like a, it's like a bargaining, like some sort of a haggling session. Yeah, yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> like harm reduction. Yeah. You'd be practicing uh, harm reduction. Or would you just go yeah. straight to the hand job? Uh, boy. You know, I would go straight for the uh, for the door, bro. <laughs> I guess. So you it's, wouldn't it's, stop. It's, this is, what about, like, would you try to tell the guy a joke to try to, you know, change the conversation? A joke? Yeah. No, no, no. If, no. And he, I've been propositioned a lot. In the old days, plundering I, you. In the old days, I used to get propositioned quite a bit, uh, you know, in the streets of San Francisco. So, um, um, I would just keep on moving. I wouldn't even engage. I would just walk on by, as it were. So, uh, you know, I, you know, it's a long story, but I used to deliver, um, what do you call it, schedules for a movie theater. So I used to have to go into all these bars and drop off stacks of movie programs, you know. And so I would go into these gay bars, you know, and God, you, know, you just can't believe the dark energy that exudes from these places. Uh, like, and these, just these, these, you know, demons effectively that are at the bar leering at you, you know, and, oh God, it's disgusting, bro. Would you, would you try to mount a moral or philosophical argument with, uh, with, with men who are intent on plundering you? <laughs> no, bro. No. No. You, know, you would go to yeah, philosophy. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't, you don't, you don't, you're, you're basically bringing a, uh, you know, you're, you're bringing a, a thumbtack to a gunfight <laughs> at that point. The, the, you're in the wrong arena, the wrong, you know, uh, scale of weaponry. It's, the forces involved are much bigger than uh, philosophy at that point. Now, after you'd been raped, would you think it's important to have some clear communication with your rapists? Maybe you know, exchange some text messages so that your rapists can understand where where the interaction went wrong and, and where you had a negative or shameful experience. No, I would wait about ten years, and then I'd bring up the allegation at a at a, at a, at a new time. So you wouldn't try to keep it. You wouldn't try to stay in contact with your rapist. No, look. No. no. So, is, so, is this... so you don't think of like you don't think of like redemptive friendship, you know, potential there. Like, yeah, you had a negative experience, but you don't want to be reductive, do you? Right. It's just one, just one event, Luke. It's just one event. Right. It's the Why situation. Not... In a different situation, he won't rape you. That's right. So keep the text. Talk about it. Express your feelings. Get to some truth, and things will be fine. Yeah. You're going to be shocked that, that many of these young women, that, that their techniques didn't seem to work out well. I mean, they, they asked on social media if this was a good idea before they did it. And then they, mm. one woman showed up with like various humor devices because she's, she's an aspiring comic. And she also showed up with a list of theses about what she wants and does not want in the photo shoot. And this guy just kind of overrode her once. And then she starts 
you know, because he's so intent on her back door, she she gives him oral sex instead. And then afterwards, she, you know, exchanges text messages to try to clarify what what parts of the interaction were, were a negative experience for her. And then she retreats to female-only Facebook uh, groups. But none of these techniques seem terribly effective. Does that does that surprise you? No, Luke. You're really grinding his axe. <laughs> this, this particular story has got you wound up for some reason. <laughs> Uh, what's her name? What's her name again? I mean, there are a bunch of them. I, I'm just kind of surprised uh, that, that when these women were getting raped, that making a strong moral argument didn't just end it. Yeah, this is, this is the bitter fruit of all these years of women's studies classes. You know, this idea that men and women are just identical and, uh, you know, they behave the same way and, uh, you, you don't, you know, the genders are just a name, you know, this has confused women to such degree that they, they've basically been, uh, they're rhetorically helpless to even understand the world they're in. It's really, uh, it's really a disaster. Yeah. And uh, how's the, how's the homeless situation in San Francisco? Is it getting better, getting worse, saying the same? Uh, I would say that it's getting Worse, but not at a huge alarming angle. You know, at a, at a, it, it's certainly not getting better, um, but it, I wouldn't say that uh, it's gotten dramatically worse either. But the trend does seem to be up. and Or maybe I'm just a nerd to it. I see so much of it. But it's just weird to see an entire block of street all occupied by tents, stolen bikes and dogs, you know, and then tweakers uh, you know, the, you, you know what a drug addict looks like. They have a very particular look in their face. And, you know, every single one of them is, 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 is a drug addict. And I don't believe uh, stereotypes. Oh, of course not. Right. Right. So, um, <clears throat> question is, is like, you know, can the, you know, can the tide be reversed here? And I, I'm pretty getting pretty pessimistic about it. Well, isn't fentanyl, isn't fentanyl kind of thinning the crowd of people who do recreational drugs? Aren't they going to uh, die? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I just know, but, the, 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 you know, I heard an interesting there's a new uh, adjective out here. It's called methy. So it, you, you have all of the urban areas. You have the Bay Area and all the sort of smaller towns and cities right around the Bay Area, Right. And then after you get beyond that threshold, say like 40, 50 miles out, things start to become, quote, messy. And it just seems like there's this ever, is an infinite stream of meth addicts that are living in the kinterlands that eventually kind of filter their way into the city to ultimately die. It's just this weird, uh, you know, disgusting pattern that's afoot and that's in place. And I, I just don't, I, I just, uh, I don't see how it resolves. I just think, I think drug use is so common and so acceptable. And I'm not, when I say drug use, I mean really heavy, hard drugs. Uh, it's just so pervasive that just a big part of the population has has been has been destroyed. And uh, what do you think about marijuana legalization? Um, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to it but it's sort of a signal you know it's sort of like a 
I don't want to put in a, people in jail for smoking pot, but, but what it does say is that pot is innocuous and it is not innocuous, right? You know, the occasional mm-hmm. marijuana smoker versus the habitual smoker. Uh, the habitual smoker will sort of sort of take solace in the idea that, well, it's legal, so there could be nothing wrong with it. And it actually uh, does sort of seem to put a, a lid on people's futures. And so I would strongly discourage it, but I don't think I'm ready to make it illegal. I think it's sort of be beneath that threshold, but, you know, that's my opinion. And uh, what do you think about the legalization of homosexual sex? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get you a strike, Luke. I don't care. I'm deleting the videos. <laughs> uh, I don't know. In retrospect, it seems to have been a mistake. Well, you, you yeah. think it's reduced stigma, and therefore there's been more irresponsible behavior. That you know, on the on the theoretical level, you know, sounds like a good idea, but on a practical level, it had a lot of negative consequences. Yeah, and then it's sort of been, you know, for this many different <coughs> things to think about. One is just the amount of disease that has been sort of spilled over out of that community into the greater population. You know, there's no accountability for this. You know, this is just a level of uh, hazard that normal people need to navigate because um, that quote-unquote community needs to, uh, you know, express itself in the way they do. So the idea that what they do in private has no effect on other people is, you know, not true. And, you you know, you've pointed this out in many ways, <laughs> you know. Um, so, but there, there's just the level of disease, but then sort of the, I guess the, 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 this is sort of the backbone of woke culture and woke ideology that's made this, uh, just clownish culture that surrounds any question of sexuality that's made like normal life impossible. So, yeah, I, if I could go back in time, I, I would probably have, uh, you know, done all I could to keep it from being legal. What about making sodomy illegal for straight people as well? Um, you know, unnatural illegal? carnal intercourse. Um, uh, I'm trying to I'm thinking about this hmm, illegal. Yeah, you have to do like 300 hours of community service if you're caught. So how long? How long ago? Um, I assume this was once against the law, right? Yeah, I'm sure it was in, in some places. Like, I mean, that's what like women I've been with. They they told me, look, this is. No, this used to be illegal in 25 states. Yeah. Um, Maybe they weren't being literal. Um, I don't know. There is a part of me that's, I don't want to say libertarian, but there, are, you know, there is a role and responsibility for the state. And, you know, the question is, is, like, is this a legitimate concern of the state? And... Um, Definitely should be a taboo, I think. Um, I mean, we do have, we need a sphere. We need like a layer of society that's not legal, but um, there is sort of, uh, you know, moral ostracism associated with it or, or, uh, you know, 
we used to have that, you know, there used to be like, um, you know, when I was going, when I was in high school, like certain behaviors, like uh, teachers would say, oh, that's, that's very low class, right? They would just call yeah. certain types of behavior low class. And that was enough. All you had to do was hear that once. And then all you want, you would just abstain from that because you didn't want to be labeled uh, low class, right? We had this sort of, everyone sort of, you know, fancied themselves at this budding aristocrat. So, um, and it seems like uh, those types of criticisms, those insults have been, you know, defanged and we can't, uh, we can't apply, we can't apply a program to anything. And, but it seems like the wokesters can, you know, they can just say, uh, you know, you, you dead named me, you know, you, uh, um, you are transphobes. So somehow, the power of ostracism got flipped to the demons and we're in a tough, tough shape because of it. Uh, what do you think about all the promotion of, of gambling? It's now widely advertised on TV. Um, um, it's probably not healthy. Um, but there is a part of gambling that is about risk-taking. And risk-taking, I think, in, in a small, I think, a small amount of risk-taking, or um, I think that's a healthy attribute of a vibrant society, right? Going to the moon is a very adventurous, risk-taking thing. You know, the spirit of exploration is risk-taking. So, yeah, in a weird way, gambling sort of cuts that off and puts it into a socially un unproductive um, channel. So I really don't think gambling is the worst thing in the world, but it certainly isn't the healthiest thing in the world either. So I was reading this explanation about medieval people, and it made me think of, think of Ricardo. So here it is. I'll read it to you. A moment ago, they were joking. Now they mock each other. One word leads to another, and suddenly from the midst of laughter, they find themselves in the fiercest feud. Much that appears contradictory to us, the intensity of their piety, the violence of their fear of hell, their guilt feelings, their penitence, the immense outbursts of joy and gaiety, the sudden flaring and the uncontrollable force of their hatred and belligerence, all these, like the rapid changes of mood, are in reality symptoms of the same social and personality structure. The instincts, the emotions vented more freely, more directly, more openly. It is only to us in whom everything is more subdued, moderate, calculated, in whom social taboos are built much more deeply into the very fabric of instinctual life as self-restraint, that this unveiled intensity of piety, belligerence, or cruelty appears disturbing. The incurable unrest, the perpetual proximity of danger, the whole atmosphere of this unpredictable and insecure life which there are at most small and transient islands of more protected existence, often engenders sudden switches from the most exuberant pleasure to the deepest despondency and remorse. So this medieval personality is incomparably more ready and accustomed to leap, leap with undiminishing intensity from one extreme to the other. And slight impressions, uncontrollable associations are often enough to induce these immense fluctuations. I mean, when I read that, I immediately thought, Ricardo... <coughs> really <laughs> it's a very interesting observation um i wouldn't necessarily apply that to ricardo but the idea of the um 
I guess the pre-modern, you're discussing the pre-modern person who, yes. uh, who doesn't have the court manners and is able yes. to uh, act out in very bold, decisive ways that aren't quite, yeah. Uh, who wrote that? Where did that come from? Uh, it came from this book I was reading on the cons- um, conservative claims of cultural oppression. Uh, but this was a quote from a scholar named Norbert Elias. But I like his point. The point is that in the traditional conception of life, we're much more porous, right? So, you know, there are forces of good and evil, like what's going on with other people affects us. And then the the liberal left approach is that we're the strategic autonomous agents. And this breakdown between the buffered self of the left and the porous self of the of the right, you know, it seems to explain almost everything. Because if you're on the right, your greatest fear is disorder and contagion. And if you're mm. on the left, you know, your greatest fear is ignorance and bigotry and prejudice. Yeah, that's that's all very interesting. Like one thing that's always also keeps me outside I, when I really knew that I thought differently than those around me um, was this habit among you know, a lot of you know, guess liberal people. To not, you know, to just say, oh, I'm really high on endorphins right now. They'd sort of reduce themselves to brain chemistry, yeah. right? They yeah. wouldn't have actual feelings, yeah. right? They wouldn't have a personality behind it. They would just talk very clinically about their, uh, yeah. you know, chemical levels. And this just just really always rubbed me the wrong way. I never could sort of fit in with that mode of being. It was just... So, um, and, you know, and now that you say that this, this is the medieval versus the uh, modern, and uh, yeah, it's a really interesting observation. And we're on a continuum, so, so Ricardo is more pre-modern than I am, uh, but I am more pre-modern than the typical liberals. So we're all on a continuum. So the pre-modern sees an enchanted magical world out there. You know, there are forces mm-hmm. of good and evil. There are sacred spaces, sacred objects. Uh, that, are, that are not just symbols. And so for me, the flag is not just a symbol. It's a, a sacred object. The Torah scroll is not just a, a scroll. It's a sacred object. You know, I do feel, you know, forces of, of good and evil in the world. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the description demonic. But now I, I kind of understand more where Ricardo w- was coming from because it's not so much that the pre-modern or the Ricardo has different beliefs, but we are differently possessed by beliefs. And so this notice of demonic possession, that's just one manifestation of this pre-modern understanding of the porousness of our identity. Another is the sense of being filled with God's spirit. And so what what we're talking about between the left and the right really clashes of cosmologies, like different ways that we, we view the universe. So you and I are on the right, so our deepest fears are disorder and contagion. You know, we don't feel like we're simply buffered strategic autonomous agents, but we feel that, you know, what's going on next door, what's going on down the street uh, affects us, even even if we're not literally getting infected by monkeypox. Yeah, but to me, like, what there used to be a notion of character, like on the right, people talk about character and it has real meaning. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't seem like that idea is on the left at all. Everything is values, clarification, values, clarification, 
Okay. But it's relativistic. There's no hierarchy. If you're on the right, you recognize a hierarchy and you recognize character and you so therefore you recognize strong character and weak character. You make distinctions and you know you value the high and you, you don't value the low. And this creates an ordered world that uh, you know there's there's room to improve. If you're on the conservative side, if you believe in hierarchy, you can, a hierarchy is something that you can ascend. You can get better. You can improve, right? But if you're on the left and you don't believe in hierarchy, you're just kind of floating. You're you're just existing, and you have no drive. You have no spiritual aspiration. So I don't know. That's how I see it. Yeah. So let's uh, welcome uh, Duvid into the show. Uh, Duvid, is there anything you've heard on the show today that you'd like to comment on? Yeah, I mean, God forbid, if you want to talk about uh, degeneracy and this new uh, Hollywood rapist, God forbid. Yeah, uh, but uh, let's go back to the the notion of, of character. Uh, Duvid, do you think that uh, people can can be morally educated? That we can we can strengthen and build people's moral character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I'm a. That's why I said the benefit of Orthodox Judaism, you know, the Muster movement, character refinement, um, you know, classical Pygmalia, um, My Fair Lady experiments that uh, people could change. It's tough work. The change could be facilitated um, or it could be self-initiated. Self-improvement generally works best as a group. You know, there's social dynamics to... uh, um, shunning people for you know, what would be considered unacceptable behavior versus uh, acceptable behavior. So there's different circumstances like Rodney and his situational ethics that you could have you know, in theory like Orthodox Judaism, the halachic absolute morality system um, but you function within society and uh, you know, so if the majority of people have lax rules and, you know, the Orthodox Judaism, the, the Tinek Shel Nishba concept, the baby that was kidnapped at birth. And generally the rabbis hold that all people are kidnapped at birth these days in the sense that uh, no one has proper moral upbringing. Even in the Orthodox world, uh, you know, there's a tendency to uh, accept what should be unacceptable. So, you know, it's a lifelong uh, process of self-improvement that has to be self-initiated. You have to work hard to find groups of people that, that want to self-improve, uh, you know, good congregations, so on and so on. Be careful with uh, association, bad association, people that uh, think bad behavior is okay. And uh, Elliot, any particularly powerful examples of, of moral education or character development that you've experienced? Um perhaps in the Castro district? No, no, no. Well, I'll tell you, I had like a weird experience last week. Um, I went to uh, an estate sale, you know. You ever been to an estate sale? I'm not sure I have. And if I had, yeah. I'd forget it. Go ahead. It was it was deeply weird, yeah. Um, but anyway, they had this, um, that's the estate sale. There was like two older women 
and a young child. This kid was maybe probably about 10 years old, maybe a bit younger. But he was like 200 pounds. This little kid had sort of ballooned to like 200 pounds. I don't think that would be possible, you know. And, you know, you ever see, um, um, what's that show, Hank Hill, the Bobby character? Do you know the cartoon, King of the Hill? No, I, I don't watch Mike cartoons. <laughs> I know, Luke, but Mike Judge. I don't you judge know? you. I don't judge you. No, no, his name is Mike Judge. He did he did Office Space and Beavis and Butthead. Anyway, there's this character, the audience will know, the chat will know. And he sort of carried on and he had these just weird, his emotional temperament was just so weird and so off. And um, he had like zero character. This little kid you could tell was going to be a monster. And it looks like he was being raised by his grandparents. And um, it was just a really off-putting encounter. I'm not really explaining it well, but uh, it, it really like scared me. It startled me to see such a poorly uh, formed young man. Yeah. No, I, I resonate with that. So, so I don't know. What was your question? I mean, you're breathing, uh, you're breathing hard today, Elliot. Are you, are you, are you Jeffrey Tubiting right now? No, no, no. But I, I tell, I, I did start uh, tactical smoking, Luke. Oh, as a political statement. No, as like an effort to get through like a, a work spell. Like huh. uh, you need to concentrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, like I'll smoke one, I'll smoke one cigarette just to uh, focus my mind. It's sort of like a little reward system. Uh, it allows me to power through these uh, uh, certain work tasks that I have. And <laughs> I think it's uh, <coughs> reinvigorated my asthma, which has been on the men for a while. So we have to cut this one out. And, uh, David, what's going on with uh, you and, and marijuana these days? Thank God uh, you're basically completely clean. And, and what's that like? Um, it feels good, I guess. Like, I always knew, you know, say that the Hebrew was a bitty avid, a second best, you know, like just dealing with depression and, uh, you know, my inability to uh, cope with uh, certain realities, so I just haven't needed it. And so, thank God, you know, it feels good. You know, more productive, uh, more healthy. Um, you know, maybe like we were talking about the hard realizations that uh, you're dealing with difficult people. Uh, you're recognizing that you know, a lot of people don't really like me, don't want me around have negative views towards me, uh, you know, some greater as I get older, like acceptance or uh, that, uh, you know, I, I'm just uh, doing without the drugs to uh, deal with the depression. Wow. That, uh, how, how long do you, do you think uh, that, that was operating in your life? Really my whole adulthood. Um. You know, marijuana does the trick to some extent. It's a good drug. That's why it's so popular. And, uh, you know, so years of my life, you know, I basically just uh, smoked all day, every day. And that's kind of like I mentioned, you mentioned about difficult people or detractors. And I think like thinking back, like, yeah, I've had uh, difficult people, detractors, basically in every social situation I've ever been in, every employment situation, um, every 
you know, synagogue, every social club, there's been people who didn't like me there and that were constantly, uh, you know, like on my back. And, uh, you know, so marijuana kind of like, you know, drowns out that uh, pain as opposed to, like I said, some sort of realization that just take it a sign of my own failings and uh, deficiencies that, uh, you know, like I have failings and the fact in social settings there's difficult people uh, or people that are you know, more than ready or eager to uh, call out my failings or, or wish upon my failure, uh, you know, to, to somewhat embrace that. Uh, but, but I think that's probably what you know, drove me to marijuana use for, uh, you know, God forbid, uh, almost 20 years of my life off and on. And how, how would you articulate, say, the most important failing that led people to shun you? Um, yeah, I guess mostly like this guy just doesn't fit in, doesn't belong here. So, you know, if it's in public school, private school, employment, you know, just someone like, you got, this guy's got to go. And so like, I always felt maybe a little bit of paranoia, but I think reasonably, uh, I think it's pretty normal that actually that, you know, because the social settings are large, that there's people that, you know, just don't really want you there. And are going to do, you know, certain things to uh, try to incentivize you to, to, to leave or for other people to uh, shun you and, uh, and and get you out of there. So I think that's relatively human nature. Not everyone turns to drugs because of it. Maybe some people are more or less popular. But I, I uh, you know, one of my realizations, uh, you know, also was that, like I mentioned, uh, was that everybody has detractors. I saw like. Uh, you know, some of the most successful, prominent people had detractors. And, you know, when I got on part of their entourage, you know, surprised that there are always people, you know, that took the opportunity to come up and say bad things about them. So, you know, like at some point I just recognized it's part of uh, human nature and, and, and uh, you know, there's probably no way to escape that part of the human condition. And Elliot, how did you deal with the realization that people just didn't like you? Um... <laughs> that's not generally been the case um but yes I've okay so you're still rationalizing well <laughs> um uh, okay so what, what age period which what, what are we talking about we're talking about youth how, talking how did about... you medicate the pain i mean we've all experienced being shunned i mean we wouldn't be mm. talking on youtube if we were you know the the, the social bells of the ball well, I said all mm. public settings is just natural yeah. when there's a crowd of people, there's going to be distaste and say, I myself have that natural inclination towards others. Like, oh man, what's this guy doing here? He doesn't belong here. My social experience would be so much better if we could just get rid of this guy. That uh, That's natural from, uh, you know, grade school, school settings to employment settings, to parties and bars, uh, like Barrow Wine says, like a minion, that 10 people is the natural number. You can't have 10 people there without one person disliking uh, someone else in the minion. Like every one of the 10 people has someone else that doesn't want them there, but that's the magic of the minion when we all, you know, turn and pray. So, so Elliot, when, when you, so well, excluded, I would, I, okay. how would you handle so, that? Uh, when I'd be excluded, there'd be, okay. So uh, I would, I would just surrender, you know, um, I, I, um, you know, um, my, 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 getting my, good with my, the alpha strategy. You said no, like, as long my, as you're cool with the alpha 
then some of the betas could dislike you. I mean, that's probably the most common strategy. Yeah, my resolve early on in life was to allocate my time wisely. And that usually meant developing skills. So, um, you know, I, I sort of had a, you know, I, I sort of understood the way the economic world worked, you know, pretty early on. And I saw the consequences for not, for, 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 for not developing yourself, right? You could, you could spend yourself, you could spend a lot of time chasing sort of this transient social approval. But this, if this came at the expense of developing your skills uh, and developing a career, you're going to, you'd be way behind the eight ball. So I had this ability, you know, I think this is because I grew up in the country. There's just, you know, I had a, you know, you can't not have a good work ethic and grow up in the country, you know, for all of its problems, you know, the rural life, you develop a, a good work ethic. And I just sort of kept that with me. And then, uh, so my response has always been to work harder, I guess. And and how how do, how have you medicated pain, Elliot? Um, <clears throat> medicated pain. Um, well, um, I never really got into marijuana. Uh, I I did have a few drinks, um, but I was never sort of out of control with it. And I've always liked exercise, so I would often kind of work out my aggressions with, with, with tennis or cycling or something like that. And but that, I never really had, mm -hmm. never had a, a chemical issue, but I'm not chem free. You know, I, I, I do enjoy, you know, I do enjoy the a few drinks and I do enjoy <laughs> occasional cigarettes. And uh, sports is probably the, one of the more common also, you know, like marijuana is extremely common, but sports, especially in the youth, is probably the single most common way to deal with it. Yeah, and have has there been a time in your life where you've been uh, sporting, David? No, I mean not not since high school. I used to play some basketball, my neighbors, but you know not not really since like I turned fourteen. I don't think I've played. You know, maybe in Jerusalem yeshiva, I played basketball a handful of uh, times. I got into rock climbing exercise fitness but uh no i i wasn't much a smart so i became a reader and more a loner and you know usually just had a few closer friends that i'd spend a decent amount of uh time with or talk with but uh you know i didn't play group sports since i was uh you know even pre-teenager and uh, elliot how, how many cigarettes do you smoke a day or a week um about one or two a day Okay, and uh, David, have you had much of a history with cigarettes? No, never liked them, always disliked them. Um, in a work setting, cigarettes serve some social function as an excuse to go outside and as an excuse to, you know, talk with other people so that there's, you know, if it's not the drug itself or if you're doing it, but, you know, like as a social thing, like I want to go out and have a cigarette and then the few other people uh, you'll have cigarettes and then you could plot and plan 
uh, you know, various uh, office strategies outside or like in high school. But I, I never liked the taste of cigarettes. I always kind of uh, gave me a headache and didn't uh, provide any benefit. And even marijuana, I, I, I wasn't uh, a huge fan of the smoking. It was more, uh, you know, the, it was more mostly an antidepressant that I used it for. Uh, Elliot, have you used cigarettes as, as, as social bonding? I mean, do you do you light li- ladies' cigarettes and pick out women with cigarettes? No, teenage girls nobody cigarette. Sm- <coughs> nobody smokes anymore, Luke. It's it's really out of fashion, and it's not. It, it's certainly not. A, it's not a high class, op- uh, uh, you know, uh, pastime, the way it used to be. But um, well, in an office setting, uh, there could be a crew of people who, because you have to go outside that you know smoke together they're outside and so you the smoking crew you know, could bond and strategize i don't know if you're saying you're the only guy at your office who smokes well i know well i work from home so it doesn't affect anybody else and you know i just do it before it has some very nice mental effects it allows me uh it is a sort of sense of relaxation but also concentration and um uh, but I, I think the whole artistry of the cigarette, the, the, the lighters, the whole culture around it, I think there was something kind of um, something kind of very aesthetic about it that I think that, you know, its absence is a loss. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, obviously there's health problems associated with it, but it's not like the worst thing in the world either, you know, <laughs> like, um you know, in like in the 40s and 50s, you'd go into an office and everybody would have, have an overflowing ashtray on their drink, on their desk, and they would be smoking from, you know, nine to five. Uh, it's only recently that the, it's gotten, it's been so stigmatized, you know, that I think there's, I think we've lost sort of like the healthy balance of things like, you know, you can you can gamble a little bit and it can be fond and positive and really not that destructive but we treat everything as if nobody has any self-control whatsoever so if you allow one cigarette you're basically condoning a carton a day there's no like notion that people can self-regulate and i think that's a loss and i think that's silly it makes us stupid so are, you suffering, are you suffering stigma elliot from being a cigarette smoker I, I don't. You're the only one I would dare tell, Luke. I feel confident. Yeah. I feel safe around you. Yeah, I this is a safe space. That, yeah. Yeah, but babe, I would not do it in polite society. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, this is definitely not polite society. I mean, you yeah, sound healthy, Elliot. I don't know why anyone would think that cigarettes are causing you. I mean, you like yeah, just the vitality, Either, the, the phlegm. I, the... I know, Luke. Uh, you know, even I've. This is a very recent thing. You know, this happened like a month ago. I was walking home and one of my neighbors, Eugene, he was standing at the, he's always at the, at the outside of the entrance smoking a cigarette. And he, um, you know, he's Ukrainian um, and we always have a nice positive chit chat and he sees me and then he offers me a cigarette. And I just, uh, I just didn't want to be a dork and not take it. So I took it. And I smoked a cigarette with him, and it was great. <laughs> like we had a we had a great little conversation, and this feeling of warmth kind of permeated permeated my body. I said, "Wow, this is really nice." Are you, you sure know? that I, a cigarette that you shared with this guy? Yeah, we the had feeling a feeling of warmth permeating your body. 
I mean, God forbid if I could mention two quick stories. Uh, you know, when I was a little kid, uh, smoking was still allowed. And then I think by the time I was like 10, it got banned from indoors. So I remember the chess club, you know, as a young kid, it was it was like an ashtray and like half the players would smoke one after the other in restaurants had smoking sections. Um, now, like even a lot of places, there's not even outdoor smoking. But when I came back to Michigan in New York, I had a handful of Jewish friends that smoke cigarettes constantly even a roommate that uh, a few roommates that smoke cigarettes constantly and I never smoked, but in Detroit, I had a uh, you know, pretty cool guy, Jewish music guy. And I couldn't be his friend cause he smoked. And like, I would drive around, he always wanted a cigarette. And I was like, my dad's a doctor. Like, I just can't have you smoking in my house, in my car. And we really couldn't be friends cause you always need to smoke. And I just didn't want to let him smoke in my house. And then this other time there was this, a pretty Jewish girl, intelligent Jewish girl that was in a down and out period. And I was going to take her into my house, but she smoked. And like, I, I really, it, it was like, no, nah, I just, I can't have you in my house if you smoke. Uh, you know, so I, I, I guess I was one of those, like, I'm judgmental, but like, uh, you know, even this pretty Jewish girl, I didn't want to bring into my house because she smoked. Well, yeah, to that, to your point, David, like, I found that smokers are the best conversationalists. They lead, they have they generally have stories to tell because they're generally uh comfortable with certain more risk in their lives and they're just better company. So I you know, I like the company of smokers and I I I I, I just really I think it's it's bad that they're ostracized uh so so much. Well, now, also- did, did you ever turn down uh a hot date because she smoked. I mean, I take it you're probably not a smoker yeah, and don't I've, I've like being around smokers. I, I've never dated someone who was much of a smoker. I had one girlfriend who would lie about being a smoker, so she never smoked around me. But I could taste it on her. I could smell her, smell it on her. But she she always denied it. So yeah, I guess I had several women that I dated. You know, maybe you know did it out of my sight. But yeah, it never occurred to me to to date someone who was who was a, a regular smoker. But in today's times, I, I understand that for many people that smoking can become a political statement. You know, people who want to you know, defy liberalism, defy smoking bans, defy the modern court of health, that you want to embody conservative values rather than just articulate them, then, then smoking is rebellion against the, the liberal moral consensus where the the two most important things in life are for everyone to be happy and for everyone to get along. I'm reading from a book, uh, Proud to be Right, which is an anthology of introspective essays by a new generation of uh, conservatives. Uh, At least marijuana makes you happy. Like smoking doesn't even make you happy. There's no excuse. Well, Elliot, Elliot uh, feels happy when he's smoking, particularly with well, There's more of an exception for marijuana. Like it's almost like a medical thing. There's really no exception for cigarettes. It's, it's uh more counterculture that marijuana has been, uh, you know, kind of grandfathered in more so than cigarette smoking. I mean, you can't do it in public, but we say like, oh, I, I'm depressed. I smoke marijuana. You know, but like, oh, he suffers depression. You know, never if he smokes marijuana as opposed to cigarettes. You're like, well, why would you do that? Like, what's wrong with you? Well, when you smoke marijuana, you get like 15 minutes of relaxation, but then there's this long foggy disgusting period so it just never really took root with me whereas with cigarettes you get this immediate relaxation but then this brightening it sort of just your senses become alive and you 
life seems to have more zest and it's uh, uh to me it's more it's just more positive it's more social it's more uh i don't know it's more engaged it doesn't sort of dope you out the way marijuana does what about nicotine gum uh tucker carlson swears by it elliot have you have you tried <laughs> nicotine gum uh no i haven't even inclined to because part of what i like is i like the whole ritual i like i like the fire i like the smoke i like the way it makes your fingers smell it has a certain leaves a residual smell on your fingers that i find is just quietly intoxicating so i i don't like these simulacrum are there any other activities that give that 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 potent smell on on the fingers that you find relaxing? <laughs> I don't know where you're going, Mr. Luke, but it's a good setup. But I don't have a witty rejoinder, so <laughs> not. I'll have to pass for a moment. Okay, uh, David, have you tried nicotine gum? No, I mean, God forbid. I like. I wasn't a cigarette smoker. I don't like gum in general. I remember my uh, boss day trading, who suffered a whole bunch of uh, drug habits. Uh, you know, and besides for you know marijuana and more seriously, he was a heroin addict, and he was a, a chain smoker. A lot of the day traders I worked with were, were smokers. And he, in Manhattan, God forbid, we were on like the 16th floor. You had to walk. You had to go all the way down outside of the building to smoke. You know, so it was a huge thing in Manhattan, like, uh, you know, in a building to have to go all the way outside to smoke. And you may not even be able to smoke outside now. Um, but uh, when he got engaged, thank God to the, you know, the millionaire boss's uh, young daughter, um, he was able to quit smoking through nicotine patches and gum. So I, I remember, you know, like I, I was there for him. I helped him quit, uh, quit cigarettes and uh, nicotine gum. Um, worked. It helped you. Know, like he was able to quit smoking through pivoting to, towards the gum, and I think he eventually stopped using the gum pretty within a year. Uh, Elliot, have you messed around much with Sudafed, particularly time release, the the non drowsy? No, no. What does that do for you? It just makes everything more alive. You get more energy. It it uh, clears up mm. the the sinuses. But yeah, the the time release, you know, pseudoephrine. It's the stuff that if you get it in sufficient quantities, it's it's speed. But oh. I, I'm saying you do the, the legal, you know, the legal, mm. follow the law, just get some Sudafed, and it's like, you know, legal speed, but it's legal. It's healthy. It, well, it's, it constitutes human flourishing. Um, it's kind of an off-label use of Sudafed. I thought it was for allergies or something like that. It, it reduces nasal congestion, but it, it also mm. makes you happier. It gives you more energy, more concentration. It's like uh, just a little bit of speed, but, you know, a healthy amount. Yeah, but what about, see, see, Luke, there's the aesthetic dimension to life, right? Just popping a pill, there's nothing, there's nothing artistic about doing that. Whereas smoking a cigarette has a certain primal ritual to it that's very satisfying in and of itself. So, no, I wouldn't be inclined to do that. And plus, speed is like, it speeds up your heart rate, right? You, you, want, you don't want to do that. This is that's, healthy. It's, it, you, can it's, buy, you can buy it on Amazon, bro. It's not, it's not something bad. It's good. It's pseudo-epinephrine. Yeah. Well, you know, when you jump into cold water, you get that same experience. 
you know. But this you get in a pill, and it's time-released. And you can get it Uh, on Amazon. With the Amazon credit card, you get 5% back. It gets delivered directly to your door? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Uh, You know, I've turned the corner on Amazon, Luke. I'm now pro-Amazon. Just for what it's worth, we used to have our little tete a tetes about Amazon. So, if it's a prime member, I mean, Luke, are you a prime member? Oh, God, yes. I I buy everything that I can buy, I buy on on Amazon. Uh, You shouldn't buy food on Amazon. That's ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Why? Buying food for because it's all that packaging just to get a bottle of crystal light delivered to your door, and it's just wasteful, Luke. Oh, so I'm being, I'm being bad for the environment. That's your <laughs> objection. Yeah, and uh, you should be cooking food, real food, broad, like wide variety of of vegetables. You know, you need like a proper meal and not have these weird smoothies? preserved smoothies. Yeah, but all delivered. Smoothies. You know, there's groceries. Everything could be delivered these days. Smoothies are for children, Luke. Adults don't drink smoothies. Yeah, I mean, all that could be delivered these days, and the packaging isn't that excess. You like the cardboard's recyclable. Um, you know, you could choose to get it delivered a few days later to have it in one shipment. Uh, your know, Whole Foods uh, in my area, God forbid, Metro Detroit, uh, you know, majority African American area. You have to, they instituted a ten dollar fee for Whole Foods delivery. So it used to be. Um, there was no fee and I'm a good tipper. Like I'm, I'm friends with my, uh, your regular Amazon uh, drivers. Like they come and it's like, how you doing? Thanks. Like God bless. And, uh, but, but the, my area, God forbid, uh, is one of the few areas across the country. They instituted a $10 fee for whole food groceries. What do you mean? Who, who's, who's, that's the fee here? Who's whole foods, Amazon, Amazon, whole foods. So you pay $10 fee for the, for delivery. Per box or something? Or, I don't yeah, know. If you're an Amazon Prime member, they deliver. Yeah. Uh, the delivery is free. You're supposed to give a tip, uh, but you're not required. Oh. Um, you know, so whatever the cost is, that you you pay like I think they raise the price like eighteen dollars a month or something. Um, in most areas, including my area, that for like a year or two, Whole Foods delivery was was free, and then in certain higher risk areas they instituted a $10 delivery fee. So most Amazon Prime stuff, the delivery is free. Whole food costs $10 delivery, which still uh, is to, to account for the risk that expensive. of being $150 worth of groceries and adding a $10 delivery fee and another $10 tip. So, uh, you know, I, I generally order about $150 in groceries once every two weeks and give a $10 tip and the $10 delivery fee. Yeah. Plus my $18 a month uh, Prime membership. Part of, the, part of the appeal of living in California is that there's so much great produce. It's right fresh. It's right near you. Where you do you get it? I, I, turn, I roll out of bed. I can buy, buy great produce. There's so many. You leave, I mean, the I house, generally... you leave the house and go to a store and mix with people? Every day, Luke. And I actually look forward to it now. I sort of cut out of work around 2.33. And I do a bunch of errands, you know, I do, I'm, I'm running this little business now. So I'm like, always got a little errand to run, a little mission to accomplish. Right. And in the course of doing that, I stop at a store and I pick up a few things. And the whole thing is just very natural and organic, Luke. It's a, and it's then a, you carry it, you carry it out I, of the I store. Put it, 
<laughs> I carried out of the store. I put it in the trunk. I slammed the you, trunk. And then and you I, carry it home, like you, you park, and then you have to carry it. Oh, you have it's to make so hard, Luke. It's just so difficult. But, you know, it's a sacrifice I must make. You know what how many mean? books I've read because I just eat processed food? Yes. And yeah. would you, do you see yourself as a success? Uh, processed food is just, it's stupidity. It's low IQ. Why would you subject yourself to something so dumb? Why don't you eat proper meals and then get have more quality energy and experience more out of life than all this I get it from pseudo-epinephrine and modafinil, bro. Oh, Luke, I've tried to help you for so long, you know? Uh, Duvid, have you tried Sudafed? It sounds vaguely familiar. I'm not, no, I don't, I'm, it I'm just not... clears up your sinuses, but it, it's um, it also kind of energizing. Oh, no, I mean, thank God. Uh, um, I, I have occasionally some heartburn. I take amoxicillin. Um, but besides for that, I have no medication. How, how's your digestive process these days, Elliot? Superb, Luke, because I have um, I eat a salad with every proper meal. So vegetables, Luke. So you're getting lots of fiber. Lots of fiber, Luke. I, and I how many bowel vegetables. movements do you have a day, Elliot? You really want to know? Yeah, <laughs> this is a safe space, man. I don't think your audience wants to hear this, Luke. <laughs> you mean health? We're, we're we're old men here. You like health? Mm. Uh, like Health tips are important. Yeah, yeah, a good bowel movement is very satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> indeed it is, Luke. But uh, it's a pleasure I like to keep private, bro. I respect you that. Discuss, uh, you know, health. Uh, you know, like Luke doing a public service here, open, <laughs> openly discussing uh, things that are really of uh, utmost importance to uh, you know us aging men. No, so here's the thing, Luke. If you eat why you eat a good proper diet you don't need to eat as much because you're getting all of your trace vitamins and things so you don't have to do all these silly supplements and stuff you just have a broad spectrum of nutrients that you're absorbing and once you get all you check all check all those boxes your appetite sort of settles down into a very normal healthy level i find if i just take like 10 different supplements that that pretty much covers my basis Well, oh, Luke, we're never going to agree on this one. Uh, why are you always coughing and spluttering? No judgment. This is just a safe space here, Elliot. As long as I've known you, you're coughing and spluttering. You know, I'll tell you why, Luke. And this is this goes directly to monkeypox. Like seven, eight years ago, I used to work in this office. I worked with a guy that had next to a guy that had literal AIDS. I was in this office queue. People were coughing and sneezing, and I got this horrific bout of pneumonia probably bacterial, you know, antibiotic resistant pneumonia in this office that took me like two months to heal. And it never quite healed. Look, it was never completely, I was never the same since. And I attribute it to, you know, certain community in this city that likes to propagate uh, virulent diseases that are not easy to heal. So uh, that's your answer. That's not politically correct. Wow. Wow, that's 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 intense. Powerful, isn't it, Luke? Powerful. That's, uh, that's powerful. Now I understand your homophobia. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> um, 
David, David, how, how's your sleep, David? I mean, I, I leave like an audible book running all night because I'm, I often wake up. So I've got my CPAP on, I've got audible book rolling, I've got a pillow between my knees. I like to sleep on my left side primarily. Uh, sometimes I use an elevated pillow to kind of open up my sinuses so that uh, so those are some of the things that go on go on for me. David, what's your sleep like? God forbid, you know, like I'm getting older, I get more tired. Um, so I you sometimes go to sleep earlier and uh you because know, I, I work mostly uh self employed, not even full time. I, I could uh sometimes sleep late. Rarely do these days I sleep past nine, but uh you know, like occasionally I'll even sleep like ten hours. Uh but uh you know, I finally got my construction done. I've been sleeping on my couch, but uh yeah, I try to uh not use any electricity. Um try not to eat too much. Like I probably maybe I'll have like a a few fruits or, or like a, a little uh a side berry chocolate thing later, but usually try not to eat uh too close to going to bed. And then I'll, when I go up to sleep, um most nights I read sometimes for like 15 minutes, sometimes for an hour before I fall asleep. Sometimes I'm tired enough, I'll go uh, straight to sleep. Uh, but uh, you think God my sleep is uh, relatively, you know, relatively good. Both my parents have sleep machines. You know, Maybe they, they suffer with obesity. Uh, but uh, you'll thank God, um, you know, I, I think I you'll get decent sleep. Yeah, I, I tend to wake up around midnight and I watch usually a comedy. So I'm watching uh, The Thick of It, a British political comedy for the second time that I'm going to watch a peep show, a British uh, comedy second second time. You know, watch watch something funny for half an hour to an hour and then drift off back to sleep. But uh, Elliot, what's your sleep life like? It's weird. It's changed uh, recently. Uh, I've been doing this thing where I fall asleep really early, like ridiculously early, like six o'clock. And then I'll get up around midnight like you. And what I've been doing is I've been watching these um, true crime like document documentaries yes. of sorts, you know. And I never used to like this genre, but now I just can't get enough of it. I can't, I can't like, yeah, it's good I just watch, I, I binge watch them now. It is ridiculous. What are your favorite ones? Um, well, my favorite one of all time was about this... Um, Kentucky socialite circle that got into dealing cocaine and uh it was he um he, he um he fell from the he they the, the crime starts the the whole story starts where he fell out of a plane and his parachute didn't open and he he just plopped down in somebody's driveway right and the way they unraveled the whole story and it was all related to uh flying these flights of cocaine back and forth from Colombia, and all of the all of the uh murder and intrigue that surrounded all of it i mean it it really tells you it's it's just such a cautionary tale about crime and like what it leads to it's like a slippery slope you start off really small and then you get dragged in and further and further and then then you get paranoid because people could turn on you and then they have to be eliminated and before you know it you know you're you've committed a murder and like this cycle just seems to capture people so uh 
I just find it really fascinating. I mean, all the stories are different, yet they're the same. At the end of the day, it's the same story. You got to send me a link to to that story. I I am fascinated. I will. And it it sounds absolutely restful. I mean, that's something that's going to help you drift off to sleep. (laughs) It's totally unhealthy. Yeah, mentally, it's totally unhealthy. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> it's super interesting. Like I watched a, I watched a documentary on Biggie and Tupac. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's, important. And, it's important. These are cultural figures. And this is, and you know, I, I, I'm surprised yeah. it's not a holiday for Biggie and Tupac. There should be like a, a weekend, you know, a special long weekend. Like you have Friday off for Biggie and then a Monday off for Tupac. So like a four-day weekend. And uh, instead of Juneteenth, you know, yeah, know. uh, David, how how has uh, marijuana affected your sleep or quitting marijuana? Um, well, marijuana could somewhat help going to sleep. Uh, you know, so I, I, I get more reading done, and and like I took some courses and I looked into it. Most of the expert evidence says that you shouldn't, uh, it's not good to have a TV or electronics in your room, so you know, my bedroom. I just have an alarm clock um, and I read mostly biographies. So if I, you know, if I get up and can't sleep and, and uh, you know, I'm up enough that I'll, uh, you'll turn the light on and read a biography, re- read your biographical stuff. Uh, my father, he was a doctor, gave me advice years ago and said, you know, just for health wise, if you can't sleep, you just lay there and rest. It's still good for your uh, body. Um, it would appear that your you and Elliot's habit is against the majority uh, your know, sleep medicine recommendation. You shouldn't have a television in your bedroom. You shouldn't watch TV close to a, a bedtime, like artificial screen or or light. And and you know, reading uh, reading is probably the best thing. Like if, if or if you you know, meditate or something, but reading uh, you know till you're close to sleep and then turn the light off. And so usually you know, like, I'll read till my eyes, you know, till, till it becomes too difficult to read. And then I usually, you know, fall asleep within five minutes of that. Uh, Elliot, I, I share your fascination with true crime. It has an addictive quality because you, you feel like you're getting the real stuff because in true crime stories, you get to find out how people's lives really are. Uh, generally speaking, people, you know, hide, a lot of what's going on in their life. But when you have a murder, you get to find out, you know, all sorts of things about people's lives that would otherwise be hidden. Is that, uh, is that part of the experience for you too? Okay. We've lost, uh, we've lost, uh, Elliot. So, uh, David, uh, what's been going on? I haven't uh, talked to you for a few days. Um, yeah, so you were, at least on mine, you appeared to be roboting, so I'm not sure what the cause of that. Um, I mean, God forbid, if you wanted to talk about this Eric uh, Weinberg story, I had some thoughts on that related to what we were talking about and thinking in New York, all of these people that you know, really dedicated the majority of their energies towards uh, promiscuity. Okay, what, what, uh, what was your thought, uh, your additional thoughts on the Eric Weinberg story? Well, like I was saying that most people that that's their thing, like they're, they're going to try to uh, have, you know, many sexual encounters devise a strategy for it. And, 
I, I was following uh, Destiny some with the Nick Fuentes. Uh... Whoa, I'm sorry. It's a problem on my end. I, uh, I, I did something. Let me figure out. Um... Okay, I. Sorry, sorry, David. Okay, David, try it again. Okay, yep. yeah, you just had like a few moments where you roboted, yep. but uh, so I, I'm not sure if you followed, you know, Destiny. I heard he's the twelfth most popular political commentator in the whole world. He may even be, you know, close to Tucker levels, um, and and so he's been doing in studio with this thing, fresh and fit in Miami, these African American uh, self improvement dating gurus. Uh, one of them's like a former police officer. And, uh, you know, they're kind of, you know, he's buddies with Andrew Tate. And you, I, I was, you know, God forbid, if you want to put it straight up, rape is the best strategy for promiscuity. And the average guy's strategy across the board is get the girl alone and then, you know, God forbid, rape her. And they might not be thinking rape, but they're, they're basically that, like, their strategy is... How do you get the girl alone? And then the thought is, once they're alone, you presumably they're going to rape her. And, and and God forbid they may not be thinking that. Um, but uh, and then even from the perspective of the woman, what do they really expect? So I saw this on the Fresh and Fit. Uh, you know, the guys say most men are simps, like ninety percent, who will do things for women and expect nothing in return. And you know the players realize that if you do something for a woman. You got to get something in return for that. And if you're a player, uh, you know, alpha men, usually that's sexual relations. And so the women generally underestimate the amount of sexual, you know, play they're going to have to give the man that they're going to be able to satisfy the man with some sort of limited amount of sexual play as opposed, you know, to the man who generally wants to go um all the way and so I, I remember god forbid like you know i unfriended people and even you know all over in the jewish world uh, uh um date rape is, is is god forbid it's it's extremely common strategy it probably works pretty well in terms of you know get the person drunk um get them to lose their friends and then get them alone get them in your apartment and uh you'll get them to get their friends to go home get rid of the cock blockers and if it's in the club, like, you know, usually like a, a good club up to midnight and the clubs do a whole bunch of things to get as many women in there as possible will be like half women. And a lot of times they're younger women, you know, like the college girls going to the party. Uh, but by the time it gets like three in the morning, it's like 90 percent dudes. And a lot of those guys are, are really just rapists. A lot of them have spent former time in prison and their goal is to get the girl into their apartment and, and you know, just to be blunt and rape them. Although they might, you know, there's levels of rape, but basically saying that they're, they're, that's their goal. And, you know, the woman saying no, uh, you know, the expectations, they're going to say no, and they're going to try to do overpower them or, or do something. So just saying that this guy Weinberg, you know, is essentially a rapist. That was his strategy. His strategy was get them alone and then rape them. And you know, so he had a he had a he had a game, he had a story, he had a ploy, 
Um, if in New York, New York, there's all sorts of game. Everybody, you could be a geeky, ugly person and be promiscuous. Like be, being promiscuous, there, there are certain levels. Like you could be healthy and fit, uh, but uh, you know you need an apartment, having money, having the ability to to help. And you know when we were talking about Orthodox Judaism, where like Orthodox Jews, they think that like everyone in the secular world is basically a rapist and oversexed. Like any goy or even secular Jew, if they get you alone, they're going to rape you unquestionably. Um, you know, like doesn't matter, uh, you know, politician, respectable person, um, like everybody's a rapist. They're going to get you alone and rape you. And to some extent, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. And, you know, like, I don't know if you put it that straight, that that is the mainstream promiscuity strategy. Get the girl alone and and uh, and rape her, God forbid. And, you know, like a lot of sex is consensual. There's a lot of women who enjoy sexual activity, but I think that it's pretty general through this Weinberg story where most sexual encounters is the woman thinking that she's going to do less than the man wants and get away with it uh, in the sense not realizing that the man is not going to be satisfied with the, you know, they want the full, the full thing. And once they're alone, um, and, and uh, you, you know they're going to have a hard time uh, saying no or fending it off. And then afterwards, what do you do when you've been raped? In that sense, and because there's levels of rape, and, and say most people keep a relationship with their rapist, and you know, like there's the dissonance, there's the level of well, is it legal rape? Uh, like, can they take it to the law enforcement? And if you think of your counterculture, you usually even like Hollywood or you're usually you're skeptical of the law enforcement system. You think society is kind of rigged and uh, that, you know, you know that you can't just like call the cops and the bad guys are going to get punished. And and then also uh, it's a certain power level over, um, over men. Um, you know, a lot of times, it, it, you know, on, on any scene, if it's, uh, you know, Weinberg, who uh, you know has some access in Hollywood or wealth? You know, I mean, he had something he could offer the woman. If it's uh, you know, like uh, party scene, getting him into clubs, access to famous people, or uh, you know, uh, cocaine is a very good strategy. Like God forbid for for promiscuity, uh, cocaine, uh, getting girls hooked on cocaine, and then getting them to have sex with you. God forbid, in return for giving them cocaine is an extremely good strategy. It's probably an extremely common strategy. There's probably 10,000 people, you know, 100,000 people in LA every single night who use that strategy because it's a good strategy where the body fiends, uh, you know, fiends the drug and uh, and, and then uh, the person uh, will, uh, you know, get the woman to have sex with them in return for, for giving them cocaine. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, if I'm being too blunt or, or you agree with my kind of blunt assessment about how... Uh, um, hookup culture works. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly part of it. I mean, men certainly try to wear women down in, you know, in, in we'll the sexual world. Yeah, um, Elliot, are these your your strategies? Elliot? Hold on, Luke. I'm I'm doing laundry. Hold on, I'll call. Okay, I'll bro. Right. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll come we'll come back to you. But uh, well, which... Orthodox Judaism says like it's forbidden to be alone. Yes. And the assumption is, if you're alone, you probably had sexual relations. Like yeah. uh, it's grounds to divorce your wife for adultery, just that she was alone with another man. 
So uh, you know, like the wear them down. Um, there's some level to wear them down, but saying get them alone with you, get them back to your apartment, and uh, you're saying once you have that, like it's pretty likely you're going to be able to close the deal. So the difficulty is, um, you know, usually younger girls, or you you know, I mean, if women are experienced and they've already had large amounts of sexual experience and know what they're doing, uh, but usually you have to uh, you have to ditch the woman's male friends. And, uh, you know, at the club, you could, you know, there's ways to, you know, you have to, you, you have to get rid of the cock blockers, then you have to get rid of her friends. Um, and, and, but I mean, the strategy is essentially get them alone. And, uh, you know, I don't know, like the wear them down, uh, you, you know, if it, that maybe, you know, like, okay, like Duvet's not that sexual. So I don't know necessarily, you know, maybe you have to wear them down even after you get them alone. But I think to the main part, uh, you know, the, the main thrust of it is getting them alone. And if you get them alone, that that's already 90% of the battle. Yeah. You know, either, I mean, it's either, a pretty, Weinstein, yeah, you know, it's like a, once you got them alone, um, you know, he was basically able to successfully rape them. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty bleak, but uh, frequently accurate uh, picture that you're painting. And the, the best defense for women is the traditional values of chastity, virginity, uh, monogamy and looking looking at sex and nudity as something that's holy and should should only be shared with a spouse. And once you remove those protections from women, then it's a much bleaker world. I mean, then you've got you know men pursuing what they want, and men are physically stronger, and you know men are you know testosterone driven you know rape machines frequently, and just you know trying to rely on on moral persuasion or just you know trying to rely on you know making a joke or trying to rely on on a sense of agreement with with a stranger once you're alone in his room is a it's a really bad bad idea but what what i notice in the world is that about two-thirds of men and women make pretty good decisions with regard to friends and relationships and then about a third of people make tend to make really terrible decisions so i, I don't think you know, two thirds of American women have been raped, but I, I do see about one third of, of people, men and women, tend to make terrible decisions with uh, regard to love and sex. So, yeah, I'm, I'm using rape, continuum. I'm using rape loosely, and it's like mm -hmm. legally, and and to say that they had more sexual activity than they planned on. Um, you know, God forbid. I, I remember, you know, like at this elite high school, we had this. Uh, eccentric genius teacher who actually you know was gay and owned a gay bar you know this uh you know liberal uh frankfurt school high school but there was this teacher who taught american history who owned a gay bar and he told this joke and it's somewhat accurate where you know the guy walks up to the woman and said well you have sexual relations with me for a million dollars and she said well yes and then she said well what about for ten dollars and she said well what kind of girl do you think i am and uh, you said, well, we've already established that now we're just negotiating price. And so if you look at the Eric Weinberg case, that most of the women were willing to exchange at least some level of sexual favors in order to get ahead in their career. They didn't want to be raped. They didn't want, but they were willing to exchange some level of sexual favors uh you know for for advancement and in that sense that it, that's probably you're pretty common for women on the dating scene to have 
underestimated their ability to uh um you know stop having you know straight sex uh as opposed to uh limited sexual activity that they uh planned on giving and, and there's some like basic common sense in, in saying new york you know see that uh you know even uh you know like uh uh you know people with tattoos ex-convicts and and women going back to their apartment uh you know with them or, or you know cocaine dealers criminals um you know a lot of women learn the hard, hard way make poor decisions I, I was noticing on this fresh and fit uh you know, uh show in miami the andrew tate uh uh buddies that they had a bunch of women and the majority of the women didn't have a college education and a lot of them came from more rural backgrounds so uh you know some women learn the hard way and it could be there's an educational gap uh it could be there's a liberalism gap you know, like as i said that you know maybe prostitutes prefer jews and indians because they don't beat them up and pay uh you know to you know the possibility african american might be more likely to uh, just beat them up and not pay and uh, yeah, i've seen that like in new york you like like uh um rape is extremely common it's a known strategy and they it wouldn't be considered rape and most people who do these type things know the law and they have plausible deniability even like eric weinberg where we're saying like okay you could call it rape but from a he still might beat his case because uh, you know he has enough plausible deniability and the women made enough uh bad decisions that uh he you know it, it's conceived you know, like mike tyson in that famous uh case with alan dershowitz where he was found guilty uh but you know once she voluntarily goes back to the hotel room um at that point if she says no um you know it's harder to say no and then the legal repercussions so uh you know god forbid like as i said like most of the clubs most women you know, leave before noon leave before midnight they don't uh, leave their group of friends they're very careful that you know if they're you're going to go with uh, some unknown guy uh, that they're going to make sure that people are you know notified or the precautions but then a lot of times there's a risk reward calculation like if you're at the club and the party and you have a uh you know like this guy in fresh and fit was saying that women could have sexual relations with guys out of the league that aren't going to marry them so like destiny was saying that people generally date within their league and you know these uh african americans andrew tate uh, uh followers were saying well they'll have sexual relations with men out of their league that they're not going to be able to hold on to uh, but if you're in a club it's not that difficult for a woman to get a millionaire to take them home to get a doctor to take them home because most men are willing to uh you know to date or have relations with so to say women under their league that maybe uh, they won't marry and, and even in terms of not just sexual relations of, of someone like me who just made friends who met uh, some famous uh, rich people in the power of the club who took that risk of you want to come back to my apartment um that you know so some of these women if they're attractive uh like yeah they they have huge opportunity to uh meet uh, extremely powerful wealthy people and and a lot of them probably do want to have sex with them uh but uh, a lot of people are simps so like factually that 90% of men are simps and you know the women can go back to their apartment can get gifts can get dinner uh, can get flown 
around the world, like Jeffrey Epstein type things without uh, getting raped, but it's an extremely cautious, you know, risky thing to do. So if you think of like Orthodox Jewish girl, just, just avoid it, never go into those places, don't even think about that. But your average girl, uh, you know, from a secular standard is thinking, well, most guys aren't rapists. And like, yeah, you can't successfully be thrown around, flown around the world, have a bunch of opportunities given to you, uh, get ahead in Hollywood uh, without being raped. Now, I, I notice that many prostitutes advertise, you know, no African-Americans. They they don't want to, you know, they don't want to have sex with any African-American men, which seems really racist. But they think that they're more likely to, you know, get beat up and uh, or get a get a disease or, or get not paid. Uh, do you do you think the government should intervene and force these women to service African-Americans and stop being so racist? Well, I mean, it's usually not legal. So, I mean, if you want I mean, so God forbid, I, I had a roommate, uh, a, a sublet, you know, who was a prostitute and, and had a thing in the village voice. And she would tell the guy to just come to the corner and, sometimes she just wouldn't see them. And I mean, I guess if you're taking this down from YouTube, I'll tell you something interesting that she told me that you find interesting. And it, you know, it probably relates, you know, even if, you, you know, if it's saying the sexual prowess of African-Americans, most guys are losers. And she said she faked it. She gave them hand jobs that she, you know, she would make it look like she was having sex with them uh, on top. And really, she was giving them a hand job, but they were, you know, so out of it that they couldn't tell the difference. They thought that they were, you know, God forbid, in her. And most of them uh, ejaculate instantly. So, you know, the guy's embarrassed of ejaculation. So if she's thinking that, you know, she's, you know, the village voice at that point, the common rate, and there's thousands, God forbid, anyone in New York, you pick up the village voice, there's thousands of services, women, uh, you know, call girls. At that point, the goal, going rate was $150 an hour. And if most guys ejaculate instantly um, and are kind of embarrassed and leave and she makes the $150 and, and she fakes it, she you know gives them a hand job, making them think that uh, he was in her when he wasn't, as opposed to you know, African-American that uh, may use the whole hour without ejaculating and is not going to fall for, you know, the hand job. He's going to know the difference and the fear of getting beat up. Uh, so if you're thinking like, okay, they're just racist and don't, you know, don't want to have sex with black guys. I'm not sure that's such the case as saying they don't want to get beat up and they want an easier job. So if it's a geeky Jewish guy that's going to ejaculate in the first minute and not even, to, you know, have to be in her and he's going to get the full $150, versus African-American guy that uh, is going to be the whole hour and is not going to ejaculate and is going to know the difference that, uh, you know, it's a, it's just a rational business decision. And it's actually, you know, might be considered a compliment to African-Americans. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, have you had women try to pull this bait and switch on you? Yeah. I mean, Elliot doesn't want to talk about it. I know it's kind of a, a sore issue. I mean, the but, porn business, am I saying stuff that makes sense to you? Yes, that, that, that uh, yes seems uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, sex, you know, you're, you're playing with some very dangerous forces. Like a lot of people get murdered as consequences of, you know, sex. You're, you're dealing with the most primal of forces, 
which from a traditional point of view, you keep it within marriage and you reduce, what, about a third, half of the problems that, that people mm-hmm. tend to have in life if, if you simply uh, limit the, uh, you know, limit the, you know, sex until marriage, you, you know, reduce a lot of problems. Well, just the money-making availability of, you know, the reality that, you know, I mean, this was a, a blue-eyed runaway, um, you know, not beautiful, but, you know, reasonably attractive that could make $150 in a few minutes and, you know, saying so, okay, like, you know, God forbid, she, you know, she was a seasoned prostitute and, and she had, you know, sex with black men. She liked having sex with black men, uh, you know, because they were good at it. Uh, but, you know, in terms of employment, she preferred, you know, simps that were easy, that, like, you know, for a few minutes work to make $150. And she made a boatload of money. Like, I, I was shocked. Like, uh, I didn't even know that the village, I, you know, like, I never picked up a village voice. And then someone, you know, mentioned, like, oh, the village voice. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, the village voice, Yes, right? yes. And they literally have, like, one-fourth of their magazine is advertisements for call girls. And I think it, it cost, like, $100 a week or something to post the ad and give a number and uh you know saying that the the most common rate at that point 15 years ago was 150 dollars an hour and uh and she got calls all the time and and she really you know, made substantial amounts of money she was able to support her and uh uh you know that my uh you know the rapper's uh, uh expensive cocaine habit and uh uh you, you know so the the reality of prostitution um, how many people use prostitutes, the the price for it, and the sexual malfunction of most people that say that, like, God forbid, to be a type simp who's going to go to a prostitute, who's going to premature acu- ejaculate, not even know the difference, that uh, you just got a hand job and weren't even inside. And, uh, you know, but I'm mean, saying that's the pathetic situation. Maybe it's all, it's probably always been that way. And, uh, and, and you know, to some extent, uh, the stereotypes about African Americans are 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 true in the extent about sexual prowess and violence. Elliot. And uh, yeah, I heard that a few times. Like I heard that from African Americans who told me, "Is like you don't have to pay them; you could just beat them up. You know, like you'll get them, you'll have sex with them, and God forbid, and then you just beat them up and don't pay them." And, and there are people like openly. Elliot, uh, you're in a vibrant area. Elliot, man. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a. You're on the streets. There could be Jewish guys like that too. But I was saying, like Har- Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, Eric Weinberg, are your more common Jewish uh, criminals, and saying like, well, he, you know, Hello. he still might have paid them, and he, pro- he might have overpowered them, um, but he still probably hooked them up financially. He probably still bought things for them. He may have even still helped their career, um, you know. So there's a Jewish sexual criminal, and, and to some extent, you have to you have to you have like a strategy. You have to work with uh, you have like I don't know if you agree with me. And to the extent anybody could get laid, you could be fat, ugly, out of shape. If you have a strategy, you could still get laid. And, what are you uh, say? Elliot, Elliot, what are you trying to say? No, I left my goggles at home, but I just want real quick. Oh my God! You been? I uh, I had uh, like a real bad bout of allergies uh, past spring. 
So uh, I was like, my energy was way down. Way down. So I was sleeping. Okay, Elliot, we're not we're not really we're getting you, your highest quality. So let me let me I, just. Uh, uh, I yeah. do not. Okay, okay, muted, uh, muted, Elliot. So good thing in the chat saying this is just a stereotype. Obviously, there's you know intellectual African Americans, there's buff you know jacked uh, Jews, but it's just a you know a, a plurality general stereotype that like in the porn industry or prostitution that would be you know known to uh to uh you know something i discovered just living in new york yeah it, you can learn a lot of visceral truths about life from you know disreputable people so for example strippers knew that we're in a recession in february because people stopped tipping uh strippers realize that different groups have different proclivities uh, different challenges, different advantages, and different disadvantages. And and when it comes to something as as visceral as sex, then it shouldn't be surprising that the people have you know particular preferences. And uh, it's it, it seems you know uh, uh, it seems naive to think that you can you can browbeat you know people into oh you know you should prefer you know big women or you should prefer older women or you should prefer black women or you should prefer something different from what you you do like i mean we we are animals with with a divine soul and sometimes the the animal soul takes over and sometimes the divine soul takes over but uh david you must be glad i i think you take my point that for many people you know sex has ruined their life and if one can simply keep one's sex life, you know, within proper boundaries, such as just within marriage, then you're gonna you're gonna miss a lot of the problems that plague many people. You're gonna have a lot uh, simpler life by keeping sex in its proper place, by keeping food in its proper place, by keeping you know alcohol in its proper place, and, and those are the advantages of a a traditional life. Yeah, I mean, God forbid. Even among Orthodox Jews, I, I would maybe even as much as twenty percent of uh, you know men speak is sexualization of women, uh, fantasizing about how pleasure it would be to have sexual relations with uh, you know uh, beautiful women, or or even plotting and strategizing and doing it. And among uh, the secular people, it, it could be as much as fifty percent. You know, even as an Orthodox Jew. Oh, uh, that's I, there was a lot of people. That's what we talked about, and like you know, there's they'd be like, oh, I know it's wrong, but this is what I'm doing, and uh, uh, you know, because generally I was willing to have friendships with almost anybody on commonalities in, in you know university or business, you could find commonalities with anybody, uh, but you know when you get down to it, what do people spend their time doing, and it's you know pretty common to strategize uh, promiscuity, and that's one thing you really get nothing out of. So, I mean, I mean, you're there and, you know, maybe you've seen, um, you know, maybe both of us have had certain, you know, LA or New York have seen some of the more successful people in that field. And you know, it might've been pleasurable while they did it. It might've uh, made them kind of feel like an alpha, but it basically has nothing to show with it. And if you look at like an Orthodox Jewish man who, you know, married a, uh, you know, only a mildly attractive woman who got chubby after her first child um, and, you know, has a huge family, Sabbath meals, and is constantly going to weddings and uh, 
family events and you know, Passover meals, and we'll have hundreds of people at their funerals. Um, never had any of those experiences. And most of those people with those experiences, some of them, some of them reproduce and have have uh, you know kids. You know, I mean, God forbid, uh, my, you know, the, the rapper I managed had uh, multiple children from uh, different women. Um, I'm friends with one of his daughters who's rapping on Facebook, uh, but uh, he had almost no relations with his uh, children. Um, you know, they're, they they're not getting together for regular family meals. Uh, you know, who knows if they'll be at his uh, you know funeral or what they'll think about him. And, uh, and you really have nothing to show for it. You're saying like you waste your life on, on Taiva and, uh, and you get nothing from it, uh, besides, or, you know, it's like, uh, it's like eating a really good meal. And, you know, a lot of times that makes you fat, uh, you know, so like the sexual relation and, you know, it's like money, uh, you know, you want, you have 200, you want 400, uh, you know, but at least money, you have something when you acquire money, you can do something with it. Uh, the sexual taiva it's never satisfying uh however much of it you want more i think there's a statement in the talmud you know it says uh you're referring to the male organ the more you focus on it the more attention it uh, drags from you and we've discussed at the gomorrah and sukkah you know like you were talking about evil and demons and the talmudic judaic attitude is everybody has an evil inclination there's not evil people there's a side to evil and a side to good in the internal struggle in every person. And, uh, you know, the, as the Talmud says, when Messiah comes and, uh, and checks the Yetzirah, that righteous people will see that their evil inclination was the size of a mountain and evil people will see that their evil inclination was like a piece of rice. And you could see that with, uh, you know, in the sense like, well, what did, what did you struggle with your life? And well, I struggled with basically wanting to have sex with every girl that I saw. And so probably half of humanity um, and we say, well, what did they struggle with? They didn't struggle with these great uh, struggles or, you know, societal difficulties or deep philosophical questions. Their basic struggle was their desire to have forbidden sexual relationships. And I would say that's, you know, probably the downfall of the majority of men. Right. Okay. Let's uh, leave it there for tonight, David. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, great. Uh, enjoyed this and uh, some enlightenment there. So I appreciate it. Yep. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.